Hello, and welcome to episode 45 of Stories of Strangeness. I'm Zoe, and this is Mike. Hello. And as you may have already guessed, it's a Mike episode. It is. So, uh, off you go, love. So, I want to actually first ask, do you know what my topic is? No. Because I left a massive clue. Was it that poo on the doorstep? I didn't do that poo on the doorstep, so that's not me. Oh, mate. Um, no, I've I've left a big clue in the living room for about a week. Honestly, our living room is so untidy. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, hold on. The pile of 40 and times have been out for a, a while. They have. What was on the cover of the top one? It's not there now. Oh. I've hidden it. You took it away. <laughs> I want to say the head with all the sections on, but I don't think it was. The head with all the sections on? Yeah, probably not then. What, what, what head with sections <laughs> You know you get those on? kind of like busts where they do like the brain patterns, like there's like dotted oh, like lines. like phrenology. Yeah. Is it phrenology? I think it's phrenology. When you read the bumps on your yeah. head. No. No? No. What was on the front? Okay. Oh, no. You... <sighs> November the 24th. 1971. I'm going to try and guess as you talk. A day that will live in FBI infamy as the day <gasps> the only unsolved case of air piracy was committed. Oh, it was the guy! The guy that jumped out of the plane! Yes! Yes! I knew, I, I knew I'd seen it because I was like, oh, it's the... the, <laughs> the oh, I can't remember his name, but yeah, with the money, the yep. dude. Yes, cool. So... An unidentified man hijacked a Northwest Orient Airlines Boeing 727 Flight 305 that was flying from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington. The man, who witnesses described as 5 foot 10 to 6 foot with brown eyes, was in his mid-40s. He was carrying a black attaché case and wearing a business suit with a black tie and white shirt. Here's the first twist in this incredible case. His name wasn't D.B. Cooper, but that's the name you would know him Yeah, by. that's the name that was splashed across the uh, yeah. magazine. Yeah, so his one-way ticket, which cost him $20, mm-hmm. was bought in cash under the name Dan Cooper. And it was actually a news miscommunication that cemented the epithet D.B. Cooper in the public imagination. Basically, the FBI rounded up a guy called D.B. Cooper to see if it was him, I think in Oregon. Yeah. And it turned out it wasn't him, but somebody in the new, in the, oh, somebody they reported on. on it yeah. and went, oh, D.B. Cooper. It wasn't even the first reporter. Another reporter <gasps> caught that oh. and then sent it out on the newswire as D.B. Cooper. So a little bit Chinese whisper type thing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So it was actually Dan Cooper, just D. Cooper. Yeah. Cooper got into seat 18C and ordered a bourbon and soda. Shortly after takeoff, Cooper was approached by flight attendant Florence Schaffner. Cooper handed her a note and initially Schaffner put it in her pocket, assuming it was probably his phone number, at which point Cooper whispered to her, Miss... You'd better take a look at that note. I have a bomb. The note was neatly written in all caps using a felt-tip pen. The note, which Cooper later reclaimed, directed her to take a seat next to him and also mentioned the bomb. Schaffner, in a display of cool-headedness, 
asked to see the bomb. Cooper complied and opened the attaché case briefly to reveal eight red cylinders in two rows of four. A wire ran to the cylinders, which Schaffner assumed to be dynamite, and connected to a large battery, also cylindrical. After closing the case, Cooper made his demands. $200,000 in negotiable American currency, which would amount to approximately $1.3 million in 2020, four parachutes, two back and two front, a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the plane on arrival. Schaffner summarily conveyed Cooper's demands to the pilots. When she returned, Cooper had put on dark wraparound sunglasses. Captain William A. Scott radioed Seattle-Tacoma Air Traffic Control, who in turn alerted local and federal authorities. The other 35 passengers on the plane were told that their arrival in Seattle would be delayed due to technical difficulties, and most were completely unaware of what happened until after they landed. The president of Northwest Orient, Donald Nyrop, authorised payment of the ransom and ordered all employees to comply with Cooper's demands. The plane then circled Puget Sound for two hours while the ransom, fuel and parachutes were organised and also to deploy emergency personnel. Flight attendant Tina Mucklow remembered Cooper looking out of the window and remarking that it looks like Tacoma down there, which suggested that Cooper had some knowledge of the area. He also mentioned that McCord Air Force Base was only a 20-minute drive from Tacoma Airport, possibly indicating military connections. Cooper was described by Schaffner as calm, polite and well-spoken with no particular accent but spoke intelligently. He didn't seem like a political dissident or a typical terrorist of the take-this-plane-to-Cuba variety, nor did he give off a hardened criminal vibe. Mucklow confirmed that he didn't seem nervous, which is interesting considering he was supposedly sitting with enough dynamite to blow himself and the plane sky-high. He seemed rather nice, Mucklow said later. He was never cruel or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm all the time. Indeed, on ordering his second bourbon and soda, he paid his drinks tab and attempted to give the change to Mucklow. He even requested meals for the flight crew during the refuelling stop in Seattle. Mucklow asked Cooper if he had a grudge against the airline, to which he replied, I don't have a grudge against your airline, miss. I just have a grudge. Once the demands had been confirmed, the plane landed at Seattle-Tacoma in pouring rain. Cooper instructed Captain Scott to taxi to an isolated, brightly lit area of the tarmac and to close all window blinds to deter police snipers. The FBI had raised the ransom money from several Seattle banks, $200,000 in $20 bills. They had, of course, logged the serial numbers and made microfilm photographs of each bill to assist with Cooper's capture after the fact. Cooper then rejected the four military-issue parachutes offered, instead choosing to go with civilian parachutes that were obtained from a local skydiving school. The cash and parachutes were delivered to Mucklow, at which point Cooper allowed all the passengers, as well as Schaffner and senior flight attendant Alice Hancock, to leave the plane. Once the refueling was complete, Cooper demanded the plane fly to Mexico City at the minimum airspeed possible 
and not to go over 10,000 feet. He also requested that the landing gear stay deployed, the wing flaps to be lowered 15 degrees and the cabin to be unpressurized. Cooper was told that the plane would have a thousand mile range, so another refueling stop would need to happen before reaching Mexico City. Cooper worked it out with the pilot and crew, and the stop was designated to be at Reno Tahoe International Airport. Cooper then asked for the rear exit door to remain open on takeoff, and for the stairs to be left extended, although this was pointed out to be unsafe, so Cooper asked Mucklow to show him how to operate the stairs. Now, the 727 had a particular thing where there was a staircase at the rear of the plane that dropped down so that people could disembark from the rear of the plane. Okay. Since Cooper, no No plane has this anymore. (laughs) Once in the air, the plane was tailed by two fighter jets from McCord Air Force Base out of sight of Cooper on board. There were now only five people on board, including Cooper himself and Cooper instructed the crew to all hole up in the cockpit, and Mucklow caught sight of Cooper prepping the parachutes as she went in. A warning light flashed to show that the aft stairs had been activated, and the pilot asked on the intercom if Cooper needed assistance. Cooper replied, no, on the cabin phone, and that was the last time he was heard from. Cooper jumped from the plane at around 8.13pm, and was never heard from again. His absence was confirmed by authorities after the plane landed at Reno Tahoe Airport and the FBI bomb squad declared the plane clean after a 30-minute sweep. Cooper had left behind two of the parachutes as well as his black clip-on tie and tie pin. The FBI had hundreds of potential suspects during its years-long investigation which was only dissolved in 2016 but ultimately never caught Cooper. However, some of the main suspects include Richard McCoy Jr., who was an army veteran with demolitions expertise and was a helicopter pilot. On April 7, 1972, he staged a copycat hijacking. He boarded another Boeing 727 in Denver. He held up a paperweight that looked like a grenade and an unloaded handgun. He demanded $500,000 and four parachutes, similar to Cooper. He bailed out during flight over Provo, Utah. He was arrested on April 9th with the ransom cash and received a 45-year sentence. He escaped two years later by crashing a garbage truck through the main gate. He was tracked down three months later in Virginia Beach and was killed in a shootout with FBI agents. Evidence shows, however that McCoy was in Las Vegas on the date of the Cooper hijacking and at home having Thanksgiving dinner with his family in Utah the day after. Kenneth Peter Christiansen In 2003, Lyle Christiansen saw a documentary about the case and became convinced his brother Kenneth was D.B. Cooper. He tried on numerous occasions to convince the FBI and then the filmmaker and author Nora Ephron, hoping she'd make a film about the case. In 2010, Skip Porteous, a detective, wrote a book that named Kenneth as Cooper. Kenneth had been a paratrooper and joined Northwest Orient in 1954 as a mechanic. He had a predilection for bourbon and was 45 at the time of the hijacking. Florence Schaffner, 
said the photos of Kenneth were the closest to her memory of Cooper, but she could not definitively identify him. The FBI does not consider Kenneth to be a prime suspect due to lack of evidence. Jack Coffelt Bryant Jack Coffelt was a con man, ex-convict and supposed government informant who claimed to be Cooper. He said he landed near Mount Hood, was injured in the landing and lost the money in the process. He tried to sell his story to Hollywood. He was apparently in Portland on the day and bore some resemblance to the FBI sketches of Cooper but was 51 at the time of the heist. The FBI determined that his story was a fabrication after certain details didn't match up. He also previously claimed to be a chauffeur for Abraham Lincoln's last undisputed descendant. One of the weirder theories is that Tommy Wiseau, the creator of the film The Room, starring Tommy Wiseau, widely thought to be one of the worst movies ever made, along with Plan 9 from (laughs) Outer Space, was D.B. Cooper and used the money to make the film. There is absolutely no evidence that I can find that any of that is true. Just a random suggestion. But it's an interesting one. There are other, lots of other people like William Gossett, who was a Marine Corps, Army and Air Forces veteran who saw action in Korea. John List was an accountant and war veteran who murdered his wife, three teenage children and 85-year-old mother in Westfield, New Jersey, 15 days before the Cooper hijacking and also withdrew $200,000 from his mother's bank account and disappeared. He came to the attention of the Cooper Task Force due to the timing of his disappearance and reasoning that a fugitive accused of mass murder has nothing to lose. After his capture in 1989, List admitted to murdering his family but denied any involvement in the Cooper hijacking. One of the slightly more left-field ones is Barbara Dayton, who was actually born... Robert Dayton in 1926 and had gender reassignment reassignment surgery, served in the US Marines, uh, Merchant Marines and then the Army during World War II. Dayton, after discharge, also worked with explosives in the construction field and aspired to a professional airline career but could not obtain a commercial licence due to gender reassignment which was not thought to be conducive to being a pilot for some reason at the time. Um, And She actually claimed to be Cooper and said that she did it to get back at the airline industry for not giving her a pilot's licence. Interesting, because he said he had a grudge. And that sounds like she had a a grudge. grudge. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's lots and lots of different suspects. So, the only pieces of evidence that were found on the plane were the black clip on tie, the mother of pearl tie clip, and eight filter tipped Raleigh cigarette butts which Cooper smoked. I suppose this is pre-DNA, isn't it? Well, the cigarette butts were destroyed because DNA wasn't at a point where it would have been (sighs) useful to do it, apparently. However, there was one more twist in the case. Okay. So, a lot of the theories revolve around what happened to Cooper. Not only who was Cooper, but what What happened happened to Cooper. So Cooper jumped out of the plane at about 10,000 feet, Mm -hmm. because that's where... The, he set the hard limit, the, the upper limit yeah. for where they could go, and at the minimum airspeed. Yep. However, he jumped out of the plane with a non-steerable parachute. So this is a parachute that was just like the big kind of hemisphere. Yeah. That you just land where you land, where the wind takes you. Fabulous. 
in the dead of night, in pouring rain, with a wearing suitcase. a suit and loafers, yeah. so just shoes. Yeah. Possibly with an attaché case, but certainly with the money. Yeah. Over a heavily forested area. Oh, goodness. Although where exactly Cooper may have come down is massively contested because it depends on part of the flight plan, which Mm -hmm. the pilot said he decided the flight plan, but it depends when Cooper jumped out exactly. Because they don't know, because he said no. And also when he pulled his ripcord. True. Because that can have a massive impact on where he came down. However, some of the theories state he didn't make it. He hit a tree. Yeah. Or he impaled himself on a tree or something. Now, a skeleton was found in the area where they thought he might have come down. Yeah. But when it was analysed, it was discovered to be female and a murder victim. Oh. Yeah. So at least some family got some closure out of it, but it wasn't Cooper. Yeah. So, the two kind of ends of the spectrum are... Cooper was either a completely novice parachutist and had no idea what he was doing because you wouldn't normally jump out of a plane in those conditions, in that weather, at night, being uncertain of your landing zone and with a non-steerable parachute. Yeah. Or he was supremely good at parachuting and was insanely confident that he would be fine because of his experience. Of course, we know about the Dunning-Kruger effect, where people who are, let's just call them stupid... Don't realise they're stupid? Don't realise they're stupid, and Mm. in that case are also insanely confident in skills that they do not not possess or have expertise in. Okay. So, you know, however, he was said to be quite intelligently spoken. So, you know, either way. Also, there was a bit there that said that Mucklow said that he didn't have any particular accent, but another thing I read said that he did, and something that they said something about his accent was off, which led to the speculation that he might have been Canadian. Now, there is a, a French language comic about an Air Force pilot called Dan Cooper. The comics have never been printed in English. But a lot of Canada speaks French. Yes. Also, somebody that was involved with the military and maybe involved in paratrooper activities or something like that may have seen the, the comics on a tour of Europe. Yeah. That's possibly where the name comes from, okay. although it's not sure. Yeah. So, he jumps out in the plane and all the rest of it. Okay, they have a rough idea of where they think he might have come down, but nobody's ever been found. Mm-hmm. Nobody was ever listed as missing with his description. Yeah. Which is odd. Yeah. Did he make it? Did he not? On February the 10th, 1980, nine years after the the jump. Yeah. Eight-year-old Brian Ingram was on holiday with his family on the Columbia River at a beachfront known as Tina Bar, like Sandbar. Yeah. He was playing around in the sand and uncovered three packets of the ransom money. (gasps) I was going to say what happened to the money, though. Yeah. It was two packets of $120 bills and one packet of $90 bills, totalling about $5,800. Right. The money was mostly intact. Yeah. And the serial numbers matched. Yeah, they were definitely them. Yeah. 
they were analysed and then half of the money was given back to Brian Ingram, who wow. by that point was 14. He sold 15 of the notes for $37,000. Holy shit. And he still has the rest, apparently. So that's a bit of a nest egg for him. Wow. Now, apparently, most of the, the money was pretty intact, like I say, often with like little nicks and bits missing here isn't, and there. Aren't American notes, they're made of fabric rather than paper, aren't they? They've I'm got a bit not of... sh- I don't think that's the case anymore. No, but back in the day, I'm sure they weren't poss- paper. Well, they were pa- it was like, like a really thick... It was pulp yeah. stock, yeah. It wasn't something like, like I'm not I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, this was found just in the sand. Now apparently the Columbia River was dredged between I think it was seventy four and seventy nine. Is that on the on the flight path? It's around the area. Right, okay. Possibly. Okay. So the the river was dredged. Yeah. So it could have been that the notes had Flow fallen into it. the river somehow. And it scooped up and in the and in scooped the up and onto the yeah exactly yeah. onto okay. the sandbank, which is where Brian found them. Or he could have buried them there. Yeah, well, that's another living theory, locally. Like- is that possibly that that Cooper buried some of the cash to come back to it later? Now, the interesting the other thing is none of the rest of the cash has ever turned up. The thing is, though, if I had a marked note and I went into town and I spent it. Yeah. They're not going to know, are they? Well, this is the thing. If you, you if you're careful and you just spend a note here and there and if it's a 20, yeah. Not many people even bother to check 20s anymore. Exactly. Uh, although this was a different time yeah. and they probably didn't check 20s at all, really. But yeah, if you just did it kind of here and there and were clever about it, it's only if you started depositing it in a bank exactly or spending lavish amounts of it that it would kind of show up. But there is a theory that Cooper may have, like you say, buried that amount to to have a little bit to go back to if he ever needed it, and then just laundered the rest somehow. Yeah, like either through a casino or you yeah, know something be, like that, possibly yeah, easy. But yeah, so Brian found five thousand eight hundred dollars worth of the money washed up and got to keep half of it. Wow! So nuts. Interestingly, there's a few places that. D.B. Cooper shows up. There have been songs about him. Yeah. I think one was called The Ballad of D.B. Cooper. Mm-hmm. There have been... Let's have a look. There is a D.B. Cooper Day, which is held in the Pacific Northwest, around where kind of where it happened. So what, people all get onto planes and jump out? Cooper has also appeared in the storylines of TV shows Prison Break, The Blacklist, News Radio, Leverage... Journeyman, Renegade, Numbers, 30 Rock, Drunk History, and the first episode of Loki, where Loki is discovered to be D.B. Cooper. I was going to say, we've watched something very recently where we went, what? Yeah. There's also films been made about him, The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper, and also, which I've seen this and I didn't remember this at all, the 2004 film featuring Seth Green without a paddle is all about them going to try and find the rest of the money. Is it? Apparently so. So Don't they end up living in a tree for a bit? Is possibly. that that one? Yeah, they basically... I think that I remember them going, like, rafting, and they're supposed to go on a thing, and they end up whitewater rafting without yeah. wanting to and all the rest of it. Yeah, and there's been books and all sorts of stuff. So 
he's kind of been very Immortal- romanticised. Immortalised. Yeah, by the romanticised by the media and things. Because it is one of those what-if things, and it's highly yeah. unlikely that we will ever know. You can give we, him we all sorts know. of stories. He would... He's, Almost certainly dead because he would be in his mid to late 90s now. Would he? Okay. Because he was 41 in 1971. Right, okay. And that was 40-odd, 50 years ago. Yeah. 51, something like that. So if he was 41, yeah, he'd be about 92 or so now. So he'd be doing well to still be with us. I mean, he did Um, have enough money to, you know, keep himself healthy. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Money can buy a lot of things, and health is one of them. But yeah, fascinating story. You're really lucky I didn't pick that up and read that article because I yeah. kept seeing it going. I might just. I've been so busy this and past I left week. it out specifically to arse. see if you'd pick up on it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, interesting tale. There has been an awful lot of people come forward and claim to be Cooper. Some have sent anonymous letters to the FBI and things like that, claiming that they did it for this that reason or the other reason or blah, blah, blah. Some have said, you know, taunted them, saying, you'll never catch me because I'm more clever than your lackey police and all this sort of thing. But yeah, the only unsolved case of air piracy in air the in the piracy. US. I'm not sure about the world, but definitely in the US. Yeah. It's definitely, a yeah. I mean, I've I've heard of it a lot before and it's kind yeah. of one of those things where it does make you think because there's so many factors. It's like, was there someone waiting to like swoop by and pick him up? Like, but then there were planes but following. You he, when he jumped out, he's uh, he's in a non-steerable parachute. He can't guarantee where he's going to land. Yeah, I know, but what Could if... be miles away. What if there was like, you said one of the guys was like a helicopter guy. He's like... Hey, get this helicopter and just like, you know, follow the plane a little way off. You'll see the big old parachute and then just swoop in and catch me. And we'll go off that way at a right angle and they'll never catch us. Wow. Well, I have to say one of the most impressive things I've ever seen was a video of two guys that jumped out of a plane in wingsuits and landed in a moving helicopter. So they literally flew into the side of it. That was in a wingsuit, which they can steer a bit more. Because also, like, the Um, the copped, the the rotary blades would, like, cut the strings on the parachute. Yeah, I mean, if if you were even slightly off... And he swings him round. He's he's dead in the the helicopter theory. Okay, well, maybe it was a plane then that kind of landed on top of and skywalking. The two planes that were following the two fighter jets didn't see anything. Didn't so see him leave. My thing, but okay. This is a, a small guy in a black suit no, in now. thick cloud. They probably wouldn't see him. This is what happened. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he asks for four parachutes, which I was just like, what is he going to make everybody jump out? Or is it just so they don't know which one he's actually going to use? It's more that one. So yeah. they think that basically he asked for four parachutes to give the impression that he might have jumped with a hostage. Yeah. And that he means... might be getting the other people in the plane to jump out and he was going to pilot the plane the rest of the way. Oh, interesting. Oh, now that's a theory. Because there was five people left. Yeah. Him and four of the people on the plane. Yeah. So, oh, they're gonna he's going to get them to jump out. So he pushes somebody out of the plane with a parachute and goes, happy trails, and then pilots the plane. But then why wouldn't they have said when they landed at Reno, it's him? Well, but, so, they said they searched the plane and there was nobody in it. Yeah. He's got how much in a in a, in a carry bag? 200,000. He says to them, Yeah. I will give you a big old chunk of money. It's 20 grand. If Shut up. you jump out instead of me 
or you just sneak me out in the old trolley with the with the condiments on so there's there's a there's a few theories that say that it might have been an inside job that it was somebody that worked for Northwest Orient Airlines because mm. all they have to do is say factors to say why. oh yeah there was there was five of us all together there was four people who worked for the aircraft and him actually mm. no there was only ever four people on there he just dressed up in his little pilot outfit and yeah did a little salute and all of that and just wandered off in plain sight yeah well. I'm just... It's not impossible, but it would be difficult because the pilot and the co-pilot were known. They mm. the knew who, who they were. Anybody on that plane after they got rid of the, after he let all the passengers and a couple of the air hostesses off at Seattle, there were, like you said, there were four or five people on there and they were all known to be Northwest employees. Okay. Now, here's another, here's another little thing. Yeah. He never existed. Right. He was he was one of he was one of the pilots or he was one of the people who worked on there. They dressed up, yeah. pretended to be him. Yeah. Once everyone got off, he does he t- take off the thing, take off the thing and then go back to wearing your normal suit. Oh yeah, he must have jumped out. He's not here. Mm. And there you go. So yeah, they so the they, pilot they was, split the money between them. Yeah, you think? the pilot was the, the pilots were known, the the assistants were known. They make that, up a boogeyman. They just yeah, they sit down, and go. Oh, he was really he didn't cause any trouble. You said none of the people on the plane knew what was going on, so no one's really going to go start looking over and going, oh, who's that? And really remember because yeah. he's doing the whole men in black thing, wearing really really generic stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it's that like inside not job. Impossible. Of like, okay, so now everyone's off. You can take off that suit. We just bundle it up because it's a suit. You could just stick it in someone else's luggage. Yeah. And, you know, the tie's there and the pin's there. And all, all you've got to do is just, you know, flip the switch. Oh, yeah, he did that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's loads of other things that it could have been. I mean, yeah, I was saying about the parachutes, actually. One of the theories was that he ordered four parachutes to give the impression that he might jump with a hostage and that way they wouldn't tamper with the parachutes because if yeah. they thought it was going to go on a hostage, they've got to give him four working parachutes. Exactly. It was weird, though, that he then said he didn't want the military ones, but I'm guessing he thought probably they had trackers in or something. Possibly. There's, there's also something that where they thought it might have been a, I can't remember what they call them now, not a fixed line or something line, where, you know, the ones where you see where they clip a cable onto a, a rope and oh, as yeah. you jump out, it pulls the ripcord for you. Yeah. because that- And he didn't want that. He wanted to be able to... Dis- say when he pulled his own ripcord right okay it's interesting to know yeah because with that kind of parachute all you'd have to do is fling one out you could just fling it out yeah and it would get lost and gone but with that kind of clip-on parachute i guess you couldn't you'd have to i don't know and again i he might have realized that they were going to send jets to kind of tail the plane to see what happened yeah and shoot deploying straight out of the back of the plane is a lot easier to see than somebody just jumping out in a black yeah. suit in the dead of night in dark And then you could go, right, once the and plane's then, gone a bit further, yeah. they're keeping an eye on the plane. They're they're not, they the might plane. not notice Fum, shoot goes the up. shoot going up yeah. somewhere over there, especially how, depending on how fast they're travelling. They're going to go yeah. past him really quickly. Now, when the plane landed at Tacoma, Tacoma, Reno, yep. Tahoe, Reno, Tahoe, that was why I got confused. There was a tea in there um <laughs> it landed with the aft stairs down yeah and at some point they found the kind of laminated placard whatever 
that had the instructions on how the aft stairs worked. Yeah. In I think I think that must have been around the drop zone where they thought he might have been. Some because they did like yeah. foot searches and all the rest of it. And the placard of how to work the aft stairs turned up somewhere. So they were like, okay, so that's how he because he he got the flight attendant Mucklow, I think it was, to show him how to do it. Yeah. But the, the, the aft stairs were actually, they work by gravity. You pretty much drop them and they off they go kind of thing. Yeah. But when they landed, the aft stairs were still down. So there's some people saying like, you know, this guy's an idiot. He jumped out in terrible weather mm-hmm. in wearing a suit and shoes rather than anything kind of sturdy. It would have been extremely cold, even at, you know, even at only 10,000 feet. Yeah. Or, but a lot of it sounds well planned. Yeah, that's you know, it. He knew that he wanted the wing flaps to, to be turned down he was, 15 yeah, he, he degrees. Knew, he knew all that the bits. That suggests some kind of aeronautical knowledge. Yeah. I wouldn't know to do that. He knew that he wanted them to fly at only 10,000 feet, which to me suggests that he was going, right, the air at 10,000 feet is still maybe breathable. I don't know. I haven't researched that yeah. bit, to be fair. But also but, you've got the distance to floor for getting like your parachute up but to and jump out to of travel plane at 30,000 dis- feet. Yeah, you'd almost certainly either freeze to death before you got anywhere near pulling your ripcord or the air wouldn't be breathable because it's too thin up there. I don't know about so, that kind of thing. So, but yeah, I don't I, either, but I'm guessing 30,000 versus 10,000 feet is a huge difference. Yeah. So the air would be warmer lowered and also it would be more breathable. Mm-hmm. So he was obviously thinking of that kind of thing. And, and then the speed he had the, as well. The cabin so depressurised so, a- so that it didn't. You know, he, he wasn't sucked out of the plane because yeah. the cabin was already depressurized. That's it. And things like that. So he'd obviously thought about a lot of this stuff. And like I say, it suggests a certain amount of kind of aeronautical nous. He had a, an idea of what he wanted to do and that kind of thing. I think the idea of sending the plane to Mexico City was obviously just a ruse. He had no intent to go to Mexico City. He just well, no. wanted to make them think he was making a run for the border so that he couldn't he, be extradited or whatever. Yeah. Um, but also then it's the direction he wanted to go for maybe the place that he wanted to end up when he jumped out. So he's like... But the pilot decided the route. So the pilot could have decided a very different route to anything he initially thought of. I mean, oh, but you did once say they you worked, start, th- there's there only are, a certain amount There are some people, thing. though, that are very good at that whole kind of, oh, yeah, it was all of his idea. Maybe he's like going, Maybe, the, the, yeah. the, the pilot's going, yeah, it was all my idea, but you don't know how much he was how like subtly was, coerced yeah. into changing Possibly. things like, oh yeah, but we'll need to refuel. So where's the best place? This one or this one? Oh, because if we, and he's looking at it going, well, look, you know, this, like some kind of, if you're like a maths whiz, you'll be looking at angles and distances and going, well, if I jump out there. Anywhere around angle, there is yeah. going to be about right. Yeah, what's the wind kind of What's the wind speed? Oh, so yeah. we'll go to that side because then the wind will take me over there and da, 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 that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and with them describing him as kind of very polite and even thoughtful, mm-hmm. you know, it's like maybe he was quite charming. Maybe they were taken in by that. And like like you say, you know, the guy's still supposedly sat there with a bomb. You can kind of take his suggestions on board. And the president of your company has said, comply with all his demands. Yes. So, yeah, you don't know kind of how much has, has, has gone through that kind of filter as well. But, yeah, fascinating case. Really is. Yeah, I kind of almost hope he made it. I know. do. I kind of like to imagine him just sitting probably on that beach when that kid was digging up his money going, fuck. Well, he's sitting yeah. there with a cocktail yeah. with his little wraparound specs. Well, one of the things they found around that beach was a couple of cans of sarsaparilla. 
apparently there was somebody who used to go out there fishing every day. Now, if you wanted to keep an eye on your money that you'd buried, you'd be good way to do it. Yeah, go fishing out there also, every day. Because also, just taking a couple of notes out here and there. Yeah, exactly. If you needed it, but I, I also kind of just think, you know, maybe he just went right. I've landed her here. I'll get on a coach. I'll go and live the rest of my life in Florida or somewhere. You know, he whatever. is Florida man. Yeah, <laughs> the original Florida man. <laughs> Wrestle some alligators and all of yeah. That. Or start keeping tigers, or oh, actually no, he one one of them was Florida, wasn't it? What one of the tiger things from Tiger King was Florida? Well, you've got there's got to be tiger folk in Florida. I'm sure there is. Hello, Florida. Hi, Floridians. Floridians, is yeah, that what they're called? I believe so. Sounds like something to do with toothpaste. I think it sounds like kind of something flowery, or like alien, like. Floridians. They're from the planet Floridia. Now it sounds like some kind of sexually transmitted disease. Oh, no. So We've run not... the gamut there, really. Yes, let's stop. Sorry, Floridians. Yeah, there's there's, there's so much more I could have gone into. There's so many more suspects. There's so many more letters that were sent claiming to be from him and all the rest of yeah. it. But, you know, there is there is a limit to the time we have and <laughs> the, the a limit to the amount I'm going to stay awake for. <laughs> yeah, because you've got to listen to me in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and you know how uh, interesting I am. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, well, thank you for yeah. that. And I'm kind of, I'm glad you did it. Yeah. Because now I don't have to read that article. Well, do you know what the other thing was as well is that I was I literally today I went, hang on, have we done this one? And I had to go onto um, my podcast app yeah. and scroll through <laughs> our episodes because I was like, I can go onto our host website, yeah. but actually it's quicker just to open the podcast app and, and scroll just through scroll through, yeah. And I was like, oh goodness, we haven't done it, have we? We haven't done it. No. And I don't remember seeing it and I, I was pretty to careful. To be fair, I have almost done that with some, like, I'm yeah. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to do, have I done that? Yeah. Have I? Oh no, I've said I would, but I haven't done it yet. But I mean, this is the thing. We've we've now done forty five episodes. There are plenty of other cases to cover. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, it's like every now and again you have to keep track and go back and go. Did we do this? Did I do did, that? Did, did, we, did we talk about this at all? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does kind of kind of make sense with that whole. Oh, I'm into my my true crime at the moment. Yeah, my yeah. my true crime murder mystery type stuff. I'm like, oh right, okay. Oh, that I. I did just want to mention, we we I have been on a bit of a true crime kick of late. I've got into a couple of podcasts about true crime. One which I tried previously and was just like, absolutely not. I hate the host voices. And as I've kind of gone and listened to more, I'm like, all right, I can kind of live with the host voices because the be content. I'm not trying to be insulting. It's just they have a particular way of speaking that kind of grates on me, and I'm not going to say who it is or what their accent is or anything like that. But anyway, I was kind of like all right, do you know what? The content's pretty good, so I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've been on a bit of a true crime kick, but I did just want to mention the amazing show that we've been watching recently. Oh, God. I have been telling everybody about it. It, Me too. It's incredible. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, it's on Amazon Prime, and it's called Sensing Murder. Now, it's a New Zealand-based show, so actually they call it Sensing Murder. (laughs) Which is just wonderful. I'm not trying to be at all disparaging about their accent. I think it's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. But literally they get 
kind of cold cases. Yeah, and they're invite, all from around the sort of seventies, aren't they? Some of them. More oh, recent they have been a little bit actually. more recent, but but yeah, um, but yeah, kind cold of seventies, eighties. I think there was one from the nineties, but they were they they get psychics in, and they they start off with about seventy of them, and they end up with almost always the same three or no, four. No, 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 because what they did is they say, we tested oh, X okay. amount, okay. but the only three, it was like three from New Zealand and five from Australia. These were the only ones that actually gave us good details. So we know that they're good and they pick a combination of the one right. from each, each episode. But there's yeah. a few that are kind of slightly more popular than the others. So they, they test them with a, with a, a closed case, don't they? One that yeah. they know. What but happened, obscure, who, who an, obscure an obscure closed, closed case. case. And they they go, oh, basically, like, three out of the 70 were able to give us intimate details of the case. And then once they've got those three, they invite a couple of them on to each episode. And it's, I think there's one woman that's been on almost every episode we've watched, almost. if not all of them. Deb Webber. Deb Webber. And... It's we started. It's off terrifying. Absolutely ripping the piss out of it because which was really hilarious. disrespectful, and it, I felt really is, awful. Yeah. But, but if, it was funny to begin if with. If it's if these are actually real, like proper yeah. fir- the first go getting everything correct is terrifying. Yeah. But I was thinking about this because I was I was talking to Laura in the car about it on our little little jaunt. Yeah. And I said, if they're that good, they would be involved in current murder investigations and would be solving them left right and center because if she can like tune in that precisely should be finding bodies and murderers well the idea is that they don't give them any information about the case they give them a photograph which most of them particularly deb weber just leaves face down she doesn't look at it does she and she just gets the energy in it she they drive around the town where the person kind of lived lived or was murdered they yeah. they take them the, the psychic basically takes the crew to the door of the place where they lived without any prompting one supposedly of the, one of the cases they found the exact spot where somebody was found in other ones they've gone right to the house and then they've found the, the not only the room but the place in the room where the body was found and stuff yeah they're incredibly accurate and it's just, it, we started out being like, oh, this is going to be hilarious. And it's now completely compelling viewing. Yeah, we have got quite into it. And to be fair, yeah. once we finish recording, <laughs> we're probably going to be putting gonna be it on. on. Yeah. So yeah. if you haven't seen it, give it a look. because Sensing murder. It's interesting because the idea being is that the, the crew only confirm correct guesses. See, this is the bit that I'm like, do they just sit and go, I'm getting female energy and the crew don't do anything. Oh, I'm getting male energy. Yeah, it's a yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay. that's kind of my thinking. And it's like it's all about the the editing. But they did have one of the episodes we watched recently. They did have a, a clinical was it clinical psychologist on, and he sat watching the crew to see if they gave away stuff Again, in their we body don't language. Know. Uh, yeah, we don't know if he was genuine or not. You can only assume. But he, by the end of it, he was like, I have no idea how she was doing the things she was doing. It was, yeah, yeah, incredible. So, yeah, interesting, interesting watch. If you're interested in anything kind of paranormal and true crime, Sensing Murder, (laughs) Sensing Murder is, is, is a fun little watch. And on that note, I think it's time to round up. It is. Yeah. (laughs) Good. Okay. 
yeah, so thank you for that, love. I love a bit of random, unsolved sky pirates. What do you guys think? What happened to him? Yeah. Where Give is us a he? shout. Did he make it? Let us know. Was he a human pincushion? Yeah. A skewer kebab? Meat pancake. Ew, no. Oh, God, because that's if he didn't take, he didn't pull the ripcord and... Street pizza. Street pizza. <laughs> Actually, just... that usually means vomit, so no. Yeah, no. no, no. Like, I mean, to no. be fair, he probably did vomit. He's like, oh, yeah. bit. Yeah. scared of heights. What am I doing? Wrap my pants. <laughs> All of that out. Oh, my God. Nope. So, last episode, we did our first full-length listener story from we did. Chris. Chris. And Chris got back to us. To oh, yeah, he did. some of our questions, but also to say that we did a good job, which is nice. Thank you, Chris. It was a little bit nerve-wracking doing a listener story because you kind of want to make sure you do it right and yeah. you know, not upset the person whose story There has been a lot so of positive response and most people are thoroughly freaked out. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so he got back to us with some answers for our questions, which was yes, no, maybe, possibly. No, I'm kidding. He mentioned that he's still Facebook friends with Elaine and messaged her. But she said she didn't even like to talk about it or think about it, and she didn't want to be involved in any way, shape, or form, which is Respect that completely. I'm completely not sure I'd fine. want to be involved. Yeah. <laughs> Chris also said he's, he's never really spoken about it to too many people over the years because it kind of almost feels like it would be stirring something up to bring it up kind of thing. But he did say, yes, my burger was back by the burger car side of the car on the floor. Yep. What the others hadn't eaten already was either left cold in the polystyrene boxes or, or on the floor of his car. Because we asked about that. Shush. Mim, come here. Yeah. He mentioned, because you mentioned Hangman's Hill. Yeah. And said he'd forgotten all about that place, but he went to a few times some years ago before this. The screaming. No idea. Neither did they. We talked about it just between ourselves over the years at first. One minute they were calling me, the next they were all screaming. So no idea what so that was they, about. they all completely yeah. lost time. The burger van was facing away from the road towards the pavement, so they wouldn't have seen us. Yeah. Although now I wonder what they would have seen during that missing time if they'd have popped out or yeah. something to see them. Gone. What's, so what's apparently gone? they wouldn't have seen anything from their kind of vantage point, which we yeah. did. We did. I did ask, I think. He said he's wondered over the years about the whole thing as he's never heard anything like it, and maybe that's what draws him to this kind of thing, including our show yeah he said he's never really told too many people about it because he didn't want to appear nuts because it is a completely bonkers story and like elaine he doesn't like to think about it too much so uh, we really have to say thank you to chris for sharing that because this is not something that he was even really that comfortable with he said it feels like they all got away with something before and he doesn't want to stir up anything again to kind of, you know, yeah. he doesn't want to put anything in jeopardy. Basically. Absolutely understand. Yeah. He mentioned the, the friend's father-in-law. He said, I think he died some time ago, but yes, to be able to put his hands on your head and tell you things about you that you hadn't told anyone. That was the, the psychic father-in-law. Yeah, that was the psychic father-in-law that told them, that to, told go them to sit around the tree. Around the yeah. tree, yeah. He said he... he, he it, it, it was really odd. He would put his hands on your head and tell you things that you'd never told anybody about yourself and things like that. And he says that the weird thing is, even though he had this experience himself, he would say he... Well, he said he's not he really he, a believer, is he? He, he uh, 100% believes in ghosts, but he's quite sceptical generally. So he said, even though I had this and a few other minor experiences or something, he still doesn't understand what happened and not sure he ever will. 
But yeah, thank you to Chris for getting back in touch as well and answering a few of our questions. Yes. That was awesome. So if you have a story you'd like to, us to read out on the podcast, or if you just want to share your experiences with us, you can contact us. So there are a few ways that they can contact us. Yep. Are there not? There are. Email. Stories of strangeness at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash stories of strangeness. You can find us on Instagram. Instagram.com slash stories of strangeness. So yes, those are the way to ways to contact us. Yep. If you would like to give us a hand by lending monetary support, there's a couple of ways you can do that at the moment. Yep. Uh, we have a Redbubble account. Yep, where so you, you can buy our merch. Yep, that is Zoe and Mike, all one word. Yep. And yeah, you can find our logo and random pictures all over, all different bits and bobs. Uh, we also have a Patreon account, which gets you extra content. Extra content extra, for extra. £3 a month. And there are now... Well, we'll be recording our 30th yeah. episode, so there's so 29 other 30, episodes on there. 39 other minisodes. And there's a couple of maxisodes there is, on actually, there. Yeah. There are a bit, well. And if, if you fancy a sampler, there is still a free oh, yes, there is minisode a free about the pixie hunter of YouTube, Erwin Saunders, that you there can check is. out. There is. And there's also outtakes yep. and other, bits and other random stuff on there. Yep. So um, that's Patreon. We have a coffee so if you don't want to sign up for a subscription, aren't really fussed about extra content, but just want to chuck some money at us. Just to say thank you. We will happily catch it in our coffee And account. buy coffee with it. Or something. Okay. Yeah. So all of those links are in the show notes. So yep. go find them there. And uh, time to say goodbye. Yeah, it is. Wow. It's been wonderful. Well, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for having us in your ears. Oh, God. Okay, well, bye. Bye. Love you.